This is the weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. WealthFest, the weekly Bull and Bear, is back in 2020. Uh, we've been kind of on the road the last couple weeks. Got a little bit of a delayed start this year, but uh, we have uh, plenty to talk about in our market update. But before I get to that, Grant and I myself were in Washington, D.C., and we had at our leadership conference, and we had a host of people speaking, um, Ben Bernanke being the headliner, but then we had a renowned columnist, George Will. We had uh, someone who was from uh, IBM Watson. So we had kind of a slew of really compelling and interesting speakers coming into this new year. Uh, the theme was disruption. Um, you know, we're really looking at things that kind of have changed the markets, whether that be technology or, you know, valuations where they are currently. Um, but, you know, we're kind of in a, in a quandary in terms of, you know, I feel like we're, we're in a new stage, right? Um, markets are very, you know, very frothy, but at the same time, you know, technology is kind of continued its 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 ascent upward and uh there was a lot to say about that um grant let's let's kind of get into what some of your takeaways were this week and uh talk to our viewers a little bit briefly about what some of these guys had to say well ben bernanke being there was was huge i am kind of a groupie of ben bernanke especially after what we saw in the 2008 crisis it was interesting to hear how he Got really got in, and, and his he was interest in finance started with the Great Depression, nineteen twenty nine, and that's what he wrote his thesis on, and then just l- listening to how he used all of that research in and um, taking over for Greenspan, who was a very popular Fed chairman, and and then taking it over and really listening to the conversations that he would have with the senators as well as with President Bush at the time and how he really was making decisions out on a limb by himself and that uh, he was really the one and his his crew orchestrating how we were able to bounce back and now have been in one of the longest and best bull markets. So without him, I, I don't think we would be seeing the valuations that we're, we're seeing today. Yeah, and I mean, having him here was 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 quite frankly amazing i mean we we had janet yellen last year so we've we've kind of been able to get these speakers that really have so much insight on what happened in 2008 i mean i think ben bernanke and you know janet in terms of the fed but then you look at characters like you know hank polson and and tim geithner like they really kind of steer the ship through what was the worst crisis since the great depression so listening to his thoughts on why the recession and the depression were different. And then also he seemed to kind of have a more of a bullish outlook on the long-term trajectory of the United States uh, demographics, not included, which was seemed to be his big, big bugaboo on what might affect our GDP prospects coming up. But yeah, it was very interesting stuff. Yeah. Especially the, the piece that I didn't realize and that he brought up, if you think about 2008 is that actually the, what we always hear about with the big short and the movies too big to fail and everything around that is that it was the subprime mortgage market that really uh, caused the, the 
Lehman Brothers to go under. But actually, one of the biggest things is he found that it was actually a bank run and that people and banks were, were pulling money and they didn't have the liquidity, which is why we saw Lehman Brothers fail. So it was interesting to hear that just the subprime mortgage market itself would have been a super bad trading day. But actually, it was a, a bank run that was the overall catalyst of, of such a disastrous downfall in the market. Yeah, no, it was definitely, definitely, uh, you know, an, an insightful, insightful speech. Um, and then, I mean, I guess just to, to get into, you know, where, what the market looks like now. And I feel like every time I read these numbers, something radical happens, right? Because <laughs> the market's actually, it's been, we're on solid footing. But of course, today I'm reading the numbers and uh, we have the coronavirus, come out. So we actually saw quite a big dip today relative. I mean, the down was down 152 points or 0.52%, um, ending the day at 29,196. The S&P was down 8.83 points or 0.27%, ending the day at 3,320. And the VIX was up 6.2%. So, I mean, but so far, you know, we, we haven't talked since the new year. I mean, we're really getting into the momentum that we saw in 2019, right? So the S&P year-to-date so far is at up 2.79%. The Dow year-to-date is up 2.3%. Um, and then volatility is down um, 6.75% since the start of the year. So it's really not as ominous as all that. Uh, we just happen to record every time there's, you know, either impending war with Iran or a or a bubonic plague or something like that. So we're always, you know, the doomsday guys. Um, but, but no, so far we're off to a solid start. Uh, like I said, a lot of this happened to be because there's a Chinese traveler from, um, or a traveler from China was diagnosed with the first U.S. case of the coronavirus in Seattle. So naturally we saw a lot of hospitality and airlines take a big dip, you know, wind resorts and Las Vegas sands were down 6.6% and 5% uh, respectively. United Airlines and Delta declined more than 2.5. Southwest was down 2.7. American Airlines was down 4.2. And uh, Boeing was just kind of an independent factor, but it was down on the fact that uh, they they released news that they don't expect regulators regulators to sign off on their new 737 MAX planes until June or July. So they took a little bit of a dip today, too. Um, But, yeah, that's that's really what we're seeing. Um, You know, the IMF has downgraded its global forecasts from – 3.4 3.4 to 3 percent, so that's a slight revision. Uh, we're projected at 2 percent growth this year. I mean, but so far, you know, we had Netflix come out and um, corporate earnings this season continue to be strong. Uh, so far, more than 70 percent of S&P 500 uh, companies have been uh, better than expected in terms of their quarterly earnings. So, um, solid start to the year, at least. I definitely think Boeing is in a in a tough place right now. I think all the airlines that you mentioned will, will rebound after we get this virus under control. I, I did see that there was one case so far in, in Washington State that we know of. So we'll definitely be monitoring that to see how it impacts it. Uh, as, as we move forward here, we're going to see how uh, City and JPM uh, earnings have come out to see how 2019 looked. I, I think that we'll continue to see strong numbers from the banking sector. Uh, overall, we, as you mentioned, we're, we're starting off this year with the same momentum as we finished 2019. We saw significant growth in the S&P, up over 30% all of for 2019, which is which is one of the largest uh 
returns year yearly returns that we've seen in the past decade so we're still continuing to see a lot of growth and we'll see we'll see how long that continues into 2019 as we as we look to earnings here even though I, I do think that our expectations are low for earnings and therefore as we mentioned before if if they do beat those low earnings it, it still is a good signal right yeah you always kind of there's always a little bit of juice there um but yeah like you mentioned since 2013 was the last big banner year we've had like we had in 2019 so it's been you know a handful of years since we've really you know put up plus 20 numbers like this um and and most of the other indexes as as well so the russell was up that that high as well as uh effie and everything like that so across the board we're looking at very standard industry indexes being very highly valued right now and, and, and huge returns yeah, I, I think going in this year, the two big things that we look at this year are going to be the same as you looked at last year. Trade probably to a lesser extent, but still there. And then Fed policy there, but probably to a greater extent, because we don't know if, you know, r- right now, I mean, Jerome Powell's kind of indicated that he doesn't see, you know, rising rates, raising rates this year, unless, you know, there's a number of factors that would have to happen. But at the same time, we're, we're not going to see... Um, you know, lowering of rates probably like we did last year either. Uh, the fundamentals seem to be a little bit stronger than they, they were coming into 2019. Definitely. And we see Trump already calling for, uh, at, at the Davos concert or conference, calling for Jerome Powell to continue to lower interest rates. But we've seen him stay strong and, and that he's going to continue to hold rates unless there's a, a big sign that he needs to continue to uh, to decrease them. Also, I, I think as we think about the the trade, we did see that the United States and China signed the first first phase of the of the trade deal, which I guess last week, which is really important. Well, but it is just phase one of it. We'll see the U.S. start to lower tariffs on Chinese goods, as well as China is going to purchase more uh, agricultural products from the United States. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on? on this trade deal, Drew? Yeah, so I think it was last Monday, but there's been a couple things that have happened. Uh, First, we've taken China out of a designation as a currency manipulator. Uh, There's a lot of analysis on this. Uh, We've had China as a currency manipulator. We labeled them in in 1994. Um, And, you know, back then, there's a lot of, you know, evidence that they were, certainly, um, but now I don't know. I mean, so, you know, Secretary uh, Mnuchin, his first five reports uh, refused to label China as a currency manipulator. And uh, the IMF had actually taken him off the currency manipulator status um, uh, earlier than this year. So, so sometime last year, I think. But I almost felt like, one, if you're a currency manipulator, it really, at the end of the day, doesn't mean all that much. I mean, what it means is you're in talks with the IMF and then the two aggrieved parties kind of talk. So it's us and China and the International Monetary Fund are talking. Um, but there's not like it's not, you know, this, you know, this. There's no sanctions or anything around that. Right. It's a lot of it's kind of anecdotal. Um, and now they're not a manipulator status. But what they are is they're a country that we will watch. Is right. It's more symbolic more than anything. Right. It's symbolic more than anything as a designation. Uh, but that being said, I think the symbolism was important because, you know, we, we there's so many different arrows we have in our quiver, both countries, and just, you know, continue to designate them as a con- currency manipulator and 
upping up that rhetoric might have got us to the issues that we really care about, which is intellectual property, government subsidies, fentanyl, and a whole host of other issues that, you know, we've labeled as the seven deadly sins. So I think that was kind of just more or less, you know, a tactic that we could get to the drawing board and talk about other issues, you know, well, while we were escalating tensions. But, you know, now that we're no longer adding them as a manipulator, you know, they've, they're showing us reports now, um, you know, with uh, in terms of, you know, what their central bank's doing. And uh, we are going to gradually cut back on tariffs. There might be kind of a 2A deal, uh, what Secretary Mnuchin said, but we learned um, the other day that they might not be erased altogether. So that was a, soured it a little, but at the end of the day, this is definitely the biggest, the biggest push we've had since this trade war started a couple of years ago. The agreement is, is definitely huge. I in terms of the currency manipulation, we see that actually this was a bipartisan agreement that, that they both voted on. And, and actually, we see that there are some Republicans and Democrats in the Senate who are a little upset that we just reversed course like that. And we see uh, Senator uh, Chuck Schumer say that he thinks that this is just the Trump administration kneeling and yielding a little bit to the, the Chinese government. However, as we mentioned, I think it is more symbolic. So if we can get a deal done, I think that's that's huge for the overall economy. The deal itself, we see China is going to purchase more farm products and then be more open and open its markets to financial services to for foreign firms, which was a big one for us. We also see that they're expected to protect American intellectual property, which we, which in my opinion is, is the most important part of the, the trade deal, because I think that that's where a lot of American companies were, were losing a lot of their value. So I think overall, this, this agreement is, is a step in the right direction. However, if for some reason we do not feel that China is, is upholding their end of the bargain, I think we're going to see Trump, the Trump administration begin to add tariffs at tariffs again and, and, and rather quickly. Uh, so for right now, I, I think that we saw the economy boost a little bit right after the trade. And, and I think that this is a, a step in the right direction, especially for the Trump administration. Yeah, I mean, and, and the the reduction on tariffs have come across a wide swath of goods, goods, you know, like worth $360 billion worth of them. We've seen reduction of tariffs, but um, that's, that's not all of them right now. Um, and then we've also, of course, seen a little bit of escalation in terms of you know, how we regard Brazil and Argentina as well. Uh, we certainly haven't put them as currency manipulators, but they're, they're, you know, their banks we're looking at as, you know, as we, as we watch which countries are, you know, artificially deflating their, their respective currencies. So, and then, I mean, I really think that kind of leads us, you know, into the next segue, right? Which is, which is, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about like how, how the jobs in, in December, right? So we got back, um, and in December, U.S. employers added, you know, 145,000 jobs. Uh, it's kind of down from the previous few months um, when, you know, they were averaging around 200,000. But that being said, the unemployment stayed steady at 3.5%. So that's still the lowest number we've seen since that, you know, 1969 date we seem to be talking about every month now, as long as the, in, you know, the employment stays at this. Um, and, yeah, I mean, for, for all of 2019, we were up 2.1 million jobs. It's showing that the that the market and overall economy may be slowing down a little bit, and that companies are are not looking to expand their workforce. And 
but overall, I, I think it's we're continuing to see job growth, which is overall good for the economy. Unemployment is really low, but I think this this leads into well, where are wages? And uh, it, it's interesting to see that we saw that the average wages increased almost about three percent over the last year, which is outpacing inflation, but is still relatively low compared to what we think of where unemployment is uh, right now. Yeah, wages are. Uh, yeah, wages are quite low considering um, what employment's been. I mean, I think a big part of that is you got to look at participation rate and. Our labor force participation rate uh, remains very low, which is 63.2%. Now, a lot of that can be, you know, attributed to an aging an aging country. Um, but then, you know, I think part of the reason why we're having discussions about things like universal basic income coming from Andrew Yang and then also coming from, a, you know, a number of other tech people is that there, there might be some technology displacement too and has kept, you know, people who otherwise might, might want to work off the sidelines. And, and then thus, you know, keeping wages down. Right. Well, I, I think we saw compared to 2018, it, it dropped from 3.1 to 2.9%. And if we are continuing to talk about a, a strong labor market, we would expect wages to actually increase because when people are working, it's harder to find talent. So if we think about even though our participation rate and, and our unemployment rate is low, but if if people are, are are more if more people are working, it's harder to find talent. And then, due to a lack of supply in the labor market, you would expect companies to actually increase the salary to attract and retain more talent. And and we're not seeing that. We're actually starting to see wages decrease. Uh, so I think that this actually may be a sign that our labor market actually is is a false indicator of the of the strength of our overall. Economy, and it's maybe because a large part of the economy that is currently hiring is the service sector, and we wouldn't expect those to be really high, high, highly skilled, highly paid workers. But still, if we, we would continue to, we would continue to expect to see a, a higher growth in wages. You guys, here train in the background. That's uh, a train going from eastern Montana to Seattle to ship coal to China. <laughs> it's uh, we're we're right by the train track, so every once in a while we get that. But you know, getting to things like you know coal and, and manufacturing jobs that um, you know have traditionally been been you know good earning jobs. Uh, that's kind of really been our disappointment, right? So we've we've added jobs in retail and hospitality and healthcare and leisure, but uh, manufacturing, the December PMI was very low. It was 47.2%. So we're, seeing, we're, still, we're still seeing quite a bit of weakness in the manufacturing sector. So this is a tale of two economies, really. Services are doing incredibly well, whereas traditional manufacturing is, 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 is contracting. Well, if we also think about where technology is and the rapid advancements in that, we also see globalization, which has allowed companies to lay off workers and even relocate jobs. So this actually may be a, another impact on the downward slope of compensation currently. Yeah, let's, let's kind of segue into home mortgage rates a little bit because that's always a big macro indicator, right? Um, coming into this year, Big majority of housing economists are predicting that mortgage rates are going to remain below four percent in 2020. Um, Grant, let's talk about you know where the housing market stands a little bit coming into this year. Well, we're having a bit of 
people think that it's going to continue to grow. Uh, we're seeing construction and low mortgage rate will be a major factor for the increase in construction. Uh, one other big factor is we're seeing that a lot of baby boomers, as they begin to retire and look to downsize to retirement communities, this may increase the construction activity uh, because existing homes may be renovated as well as as rebuilt for, for larger homes. Uh, so I think a, a big thing to look at is if mortgage rates continue to stay low, I believe that we will we will may see an increase in, in overall uh, the housing market. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, low mortgage rates would be good for renters, but, um, you know, it's it's really going to be, you know, a matter of seeing whether people want to sell their homes for for what they're at right now, too. Yeah, and, and, and there is a, a, another belief that if there's a low supply of homes for sale, which, which may be right now because people uh, don't want to move or relocate, uh, it may actually, because of the housing pricing, the, the prices of housing appreciating and outpacing inflation and wage growth, people may not think they can afford or, or want to buy a new home. And so we may actually see housing prices remain flat or even drops in some parts of the country, especially along the coast. So I think if we think about here in Bozeman, where we are, this is a pretty hot market. So I don't anticipate uh, the housing market to, to remain flat, and it, but only increase. So I think it's really depending on on where you live and uh, the mortgage rate that you can receive. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you look at a market like ours, I mean, home values relative to wages are pretty exorbitant. So that, that's one of the sticking issues for like a lot of like up and coming, like mid-level towns. Right. so, I mean, I guess another issue that we should talk about coming in this year that affects rates is we're looking at global debt to GDP um, records that we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but you know, where, where debts really just exploded is 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 in the developed countries i mean when we're looking at global debt which is you know we're talking about borrowings from households governments and companies that grew nine trillion dollars to right now that's you know is debt of 253 trillion dollars out there uh so that puts global debt to gdp ratio at 322 percent um which just passes 2016 as the highest year on record we're seeing countries across the globe, New Zealand, Switzerland, Norway, all have rising household debt. And then if we look at the United States and Australia, we're also seeing all-time high of government debt to GDP. So overall, I think if we're looking at where interest rates are right now, that may be one of the biggest components for why everyone is is, is so levered. I think that we really need to, to keep an eye on China, even though Chinese companies wanted to reduce their borrowing. Uh, in 2017 and 2018. In 2019, we saw overall Chinese debt increase last year. So I think that overall, with where interest rates are, we're seeing highly levered uh, governments as well as just households. And so therefore, I think if there there is a big correction and there is, uh, and we have very highly levered institutions as well as households, that that could be a, a major issue moving forward. Yeah, I, I mean, look, like our budget deficit topped one trillion in 2019, which is the first time in seven years. So, I mean, it went up, you know, to that level in 2012. But we were, you know, in the midst of, of fighting a recession, right? We weren't, we weren't this late in the cycle. So, the fact that we're posting debts like this, 
I mean, depending on where you are, right? I mean, there's modern monetary theory people who, who, who would argue whether or not this means anything at all. But if you are worried about debts, government debts and household debts, um, you know, we've certainly, we've certainly seen drastic increases over the last year. Well, I think government's one thing, but household is really something to be worried about because if we think about where we were in 2007 with the mortgage, subprime mortgage market and people not being able to pay their, their loans, that that was kind of catastrophic to and a catalyst to the 2008 recession. So I think overall, if we think about household debt and, and that in not only the United States, but New Zealand, Switzerland, and Norway, they're, they're all-time high for, for those countries, I think that that is something we should be watching. Yeah, I mean, we've got to be looking at these balance sheets. Uh, I mean, if if we're having record stock market gains, but you know, participation still remains pretty low in that. You know, it's not nearly as widespread as we might think. Then, then this does become become an issue if you're not participating on that side of the equation, right? If you're not experiencing a housing bubble, and if you're not, you know, in stocks, then this is vexing because cash isn't isn't growing all that much. Right. And I think that that's where why we're seeing a continued growth in equities. And even though we say continue to say for the last couple shows and episodes is that when is this all going to come to an end? Because we the usual expansion cycle is usually goes on for 58 months. And now we're 121 months into an expansion cycle. So uh, we'll we'll see. And so but that said, bond yields are, are at really low rates right now. CD rates are non-existent compared to where they used to be. So if people are looking for for any yield, it's going to have to be in in equities or uh, for me, structured products works as well. <laughs> yeah, let's let's give a shout out to the asset classes of last decade. You know, we're in the roaring 20s now. Um, so maybe history will repeat itself. But in terms of the last decade, I mean, we have had a couple outliers. Uh, U.S. equities were the top performing you know, equity markets in the world over the last 10 years. Um, and then but the asset class of the decade happens to be Bitcoin. So if you invested one dollar in Bitcoin at the start of the decade, it'd be worth, you know, over uh, ninety thousand dollars. At least it would have been last month. Right. Because you saw. You saw some crazy fluctuations in 2017, but you know, you know, we've been hovering around you know Bitcoin's valuation at like seven thousand dollars or so, and would have started at pennies on the dollar. Um, what do we think about Bitcoin, Grant? <laughs> I think it's all a hoax. I uh, I think blockchain technology is is great technology, and I think we'll be getting to start use it. But Bitcoin as a whole, I I just don't understand it. When you're investing. In a stock, you're you're buying a piece of a corporation. If you're investing in a commodity or gold, you know I, I think you have a tangible asset. Whereas Bitcoin, I think not many people really understand the technology, and um, it was originally created to have the transfer of funds to not be regulated. And so I I don't see this really becoming a, a mainstream investment uh, moving forward because I just don't see how it's going to be regulated. And, and if it does become highly regulated, I don't think it will continue to have the same popularity that we've seen in the past decade. Yeah, I mean, the volume is very small, which is one thing we should look at. I mean, this isn't very actively traded market. Um, and I think it was Ray Dalio, I, I forget, but someone was talking the other days, just, uh, you know, asset should do two things. One, it should be a medium of exchange. And two, it should be a way to store wealth. And Bitcoin right now, doesn't particularly 
do a great job of either. Right. And it, to manufacture them, I mean, the big, the big technology equipment and energy that goes into mine and, and store the big, uh, the blockchain technology is, is a big investment as well. I, I just overall think that a lot of the investors jumped on it because uh, it, it may have been a, a trend, but overall because of the, it not being highly regulated and there really is no tangible asset, I, I think that will continue to, this will continue to phase out. And like to kind of wrap up our first episode in 2020, um, what should we be looking at? I know you guys are in the qualified plan space or, you know, retirement planning space. Definitely want to be looking at the SECURE Act, which was recently passed. Um, January 1st. Yeah, it was kind of with overwhelming support, too. So, um, I mean, I know they've, they've changed the age for RMDs and, um, you know, and they, they've made it easier for qualified plans to to exist in smaller companies. They're also making it easier to uh, add annuities on 401k platforms. Um, Grant, what else we got in this act? Well, I think the big things that you just mentioned are the requirement minimum distributions for IRAs moved from 70 and a half to 72. Uh, there is a, a little bit different on if you inherit uh, an IRA, how you withdraw assets there. And then also they're removing the age restrictions on when you can contribute to an IRA. So there are no longer age restrictions. Uh, and then a, a big one is annuities and defined contribution plans. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think overall, it's a, it's a big move in the right direction in terms of helping Americans begin to save and think about retirement, which which we know uh, has been a problem historically in the United States. Yeah, I, I saw there was a student debt component, too. You could use 10K of your 529s to pay down student debts. Right. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, thanks wow. a lot. Thanks a lot, fellas. You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> drop in the bucket. Thanks for the, the 10K and my $150,000 loans. Appreciate it. Way <laughs> to go out on a limb. in 529. Like, <laughs> my cup is truly overflowing. But in terms of things that go from D.C., I mean, clearly, yeah, we're laughing at I mean, not a drop in college debt bucket, but I, I do think it has helped retirement plans. I think it's bringing it to the forefront of of what people are thinking about, and and overall, if if people can think about longevity risk and and how to begin to save for that with IRAs, Roth IRAs, and four hundred one ks, as well as annuity products, I, I think that's a big step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, guys, I guess the other thing I'll be looking at too is, of course, impeachment. Um, I saw they changed they'll be able to have three days of opening statements as opposed to two um so you know i think that will kind of give everyone a little bit more time to to outline their case but um that will be you know in the forefront now i mean even when it's resolved it still won't really be resolved right we'll be talking about the ramifications of that um so throughout this year in this election season so um it's definitely one thing to look at i'll be looking at to see how Earnings from fourth quarter as well as overall the annual 2019 come out. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how how earnings were if they beat expectations, uh, and and how companies finished off 2019. Yep, and coming back in this year. Thanks for listening to our first episode. Um, not sure if I brought this up. I don't think I have, but we're on Spotify now. So that's kind of an easier platform. Otherwise, I have to tell you guys we're on Stitcher and all these things. I don't really know what they are. So uh, so that's big for us. So if, you're, if Spotify is your 
uh, platform of choice. You can subscribe to Wealth Fest, the weekly bull and bear there. Um, stay tuned for us coming up next week. Um, thanks for taking your time to listen um, and all the best. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.